This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. John Newton, hymn of the day, the first, this morning, let us love and sing and wonder, also a John Newton hymn. The gifts he gives to his servants, somebody like John Newton, a fantastic testimony, lyrical ability, um, makes me think actually of kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight in, uh, in, our, in the sermon as we look at Hebrews chapter 11. We do know of the John Newtons of the world, people who we know, have heard of, who've done work that influences us to the present day. And yet, there are so many other believers who have lived over these past 2,000 years of church history, and even well before that, as our passage indicates, whose lives we don't hear about. Uh, And yet, there were people who knew them, people who uh, were influenced by them, people whose lives were changed by them, whose names now are known only to the Lord and known certainly to those of the contemporaries who are with them in heaven. And so as we look tonight at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 40, uh, we, we have some people that we know about and then others that uh, may not be as well known or even uh, names we may not know at all. So let's look this evening at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 30. Hear the word of God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray. Father, as we study this passage, we pray for your grace. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us to understand the things that you're saying here, and to recognize uh, what they have to do with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as we began this chapter, we saw that he begins with the definition of faith. It's a chapter about faith. It begins with an abstract definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the definition. Uh, And it's meaningful. It's helpful. It helps us to understand what it is to live by faith, the assurance of things hoped for, confidence that those things that God has promised, those things we hope for, will in fact come to pass. Some of them have, and some of them are yet to happen. The conviction of things not seen. In other words, to live seeing things by faith that the human eye does not see, and yet God having promised those things, we see them. We recognize with conviction the reality of them. And so living by faith means uh, those things, having this assurance, having this conviction or this confidence in things that God has promised. We don't see them, but because he has promised them, we know they are as as real and as solid uh, as these chairs are sitting on, as this pulpit before me. And so we live accordingly. We live trusting God. Uh, Ultimately, we have to trust someone. We either trust in the Lord, we trust in him and his word and his promises, uh, or we're thrown back to trust on ourselves, on our own intellect, on our own instincts, on our own opinion. Well, then Hebrews 11, after giving this abstract definition, goes on <clears throat> to give a more concrete, uh, if not definition, an illustration of what it means to live by faith. And the writer to the Hebrews demonstrates that this, this is a faith demonstrated that acts on the bare word of God. And he goes through, as we've seen, and looks at these various figures from the Old Testament of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, and then into the patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then also Joseph. Of course, then he goes on to Moses, uh, whom we studied not too long ago in our study of uh, Exodus 1 through 20, well acquainted with the events that he describes in verses 23 all the way down through verse 29, the people of Israel crossing crossing the the, the Red Sea on dry land and the destruction of the Egyptians when they attempted to do so. Perhaps you've noticed sometimes when a preacher begins his sermon, begins his text, they warned us not to do this in seminary, but it still sometimes happens, where, say, you have 30 minutes for the sermon, and by the time 20 minutes have elapsed, you realize you're still on the first point out of three. That's actually when the congregation starts getting a little bit nervous, because secondly has not yet arrived, but noon is rapidly approaching. And so somehow you manage to pull out points two and three and finish uh, with one minute to spare. Uh, I don't know if that's what happened in Hebrews chapter 11, but he's going along giving great press, acknowledged uh, to some of the big names of the Old Testament. Uh, and although he wasn't writing, obviously, in terms of chapters, that was a later addition to our Bibles, um, he sort of feels the need to start wrapping it up, to, to start pulling this, this section to a close, and that's exactly what he does. Uh, but even going through these others that he spends less time on, even in just mentioning names and eventually just not even mentioning names but actions, uh, he's portraying this, this faith that results in courageous living, courageous boldness that grows out of faith in the Word of God. And in these passages, uh, he shows some of those ways that that courageous faith demonstrates itself. Well, notice, um, first of all, beginning in verse 30, 
a couple of well-known ones uh, related. Uh, verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. We're well aware of the story, of course. It's covered in, in detail uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, where the Lord tells Israel, who had been wandering in the wilderness 40 years because of their unbelief, uh, but now we're preparing to go in and indeed cross the Jordan, going into the promised land of Canaan. And the first test that they faced was Jericho, this city that they have come to, a walled city, defended city. It was in a strategic location. It had high walls, had thick walls. Humanly speaking, it was an impossibility. Uh, it had soldiers who were armed, who were trained, ready to defend the city. And God announces this plan to Joshua, which is go over there and march around the city each day. And then on the seventh day, march around it uh, seven times, blow the trumpet, and I will give to you the city. Now, to military planning, that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And that was part of God's purpose. Because God delights to confound human wisdom. God delights to encourage in his people dependence on him, trust in him. And Israel did what God said. And then they circle the city seven times and blow the trumpet and the walls crumble and they are able to rush in and put the city to the sword and conquer it. The biggest obstacle was not Jericho. The biggest obstacle would have been unbelief. And yet they took God at his word and they went in and they conquered the city because God delights to slay man's pride. The people did nothing to get into that city. They simply obeyed what God said. And, you know, as believers, we may not face an actual walled city called Jericho, but we do face situations that, humanly speaking, are impossible. And we wait on the Lord. We obey what he has told us in his word. We do what we know that he wants us to do. And we look to the Lord to be with us and to give us victory in seemingly impossible situations. Now, he may not always tear down the walls the way we might like. He might not always give us victory in the way that we might hope for and anticipate. But the fact is, we, like Israel, like Joshua, uh, are in a situation where we simply have to trust and obey the Lord. He moves, verse 31, uh, to Rahab. Uh, obviously related to the, the fall of Jericho. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Chapter 2, the spies came in and uh, Rahab helped them out, hid them so that they would not be found. And uh, when the search had moved on, helped them to escape from the city. Uh, she had heard what the Lord had done for Israel to others. She acknowledged that the hearts of the people were in fear of Israel. And because of her faith and her siding, uh, at, at considerable peril to herself, by the way, uh, she was saved when they took the city and uh, became part of Israel. If you read Matthew chapter 1, she is the mother of Boaz, becomes part of that great genealogy. But she didn't perish with those who were disobedient because she had thrown in her lot with God's people and at considerable risk sided with them and therefore uh, was counted 
among them. Now, Rahab seems an unlikely candidate for this list, and we've been looking at people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, Joshua, Rahab? Well, Rahab is is known as the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. Uh, But apparently, by God's grace, she had become a different woman. Maybe it's unfair to her to remember her in that way, just as it's unfair to Thomas that he's forever known as Doubting Thomas, you know, defined by the one worst moment of his life. Uh, Is that really fair? Well, maybe we should rehabilitate Rahab's uh, reputation, uh, although we know her as Rahab. Even the writer of the Hebrews knows her as Rahab the prostitute. Uh, I'm sure she would like to be known uh, more as Rahab the, the woman of God, Rahab the woman of faith, and not known for her worst characteristics. But she was put in this list because she had faith. She acted on that faith, and she was honored in this chapter because of her faith. Now, this is where we, we go into just names uh, without really recounting what happened. Uh, there were many others as well. We see in verse 32, he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. We know of Gideon. We know what he did in the book of Judges, how uh, the Lord whittled down his army to 300 men and with them through the Midianites into panic. Again, confounding human wisdom, showing his strength in human weakness. Uh, Barak. Or Barak defeated Sisera and the Canaanite forces. Sort of an odd one here in this list as well, simply because uh, he refused to go into battle, refused to, to go unless uh, Deborah went with him, was with him. So there seems to be some weakness and nevertheless is recognized for his leadership uh, and for his service to the Lord. Samson, another one that may kind of leave you scratching your head. We don't typically think of Samson, the great hero of faith. Uh, certainly he squandered a great deal. He, he was a man um, who had tremendous opportunity and essentially frittered it away on silliness and sin. Uh, in many ways a tragic figure, and yet ended well. Served the Lord, if only through his death, to bring about destruction on the Philistines. Um, and, and served the Lord in that way and died in faith uh, to carry out the work God had given him to do. Jephthah, another one, an uh, unusual one, not as well known a name in the book of Judges. Uh, he is best known for his rash vow that he made. Uh, remember, he promised that if the Lord gave him victory over the Ammonites, that he would sacrifice to the Lord the first thing that he saw when he got back. Well, he, as he's returning, his daughter runs out to, to meet him coming back. Now, Jephthah uh, made a double mistake. Number one, he made a, a rash vow that, that really was not very helpful. Uh, worse, he kept it when it was his own daughter who came out. And, of course, she asked for time. He grants her two months, and she weeps for her virginity, for her lost life, lost marriage. Uh, that would never be, and uh, and then he he sacrifices her. Kind of a strange uh, figure to be um, included in this list, and yet even that was an indication of his severe, of his sincere, uh, if not somewhat misguided devotion to the Lord. Even in that imperfection, there was considerable faith in the Lord. Uh, in giving and trusting the Lord to give him victory. 
uh, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Uh, David, we, we think, well, certainly he belongs here, and yet we know in many ways he was a tremendously flawed man, like many others in this list that we've looked at. Even Abraham, we think about his lapses of faith. Moses, the same, his doubts, his fears. Uh, David had his failures, but he also had a huge heart for God, a great love for the Lord, a great conviction that God would be faithful uh, to him and to the promises he'd made to him. Samuel, on the other hand, uh, clearly a man of God from childhood. We know well how the Lord called Samuel to himself and to his service, even as a child in the night uh, as he was there serving with Eli in the, in the temple there in Shiloh. Rallied the people after the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, repeatedly called Israel to covenant loyalty to the Lord. Anointed Saul as king. Uh, and also secretly anointed David to be Saul's successor in the face of Saul's sin, his lack of faith. Notice Saul is not included in this list. And then he mentions the prophets, uh, which would include a, a, a list of people. But verse 33, in continuing through 34, while it follows the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, the who there is referring back to all of these names. He gives names and he gives some of the things that they did. Let's look at some of the things that he mentions. Uh, the prophets, but all of these, who through faith conquered kingdoms. That could be any number of them. Could be Joshua. Could be, could be David. Enforced justice. Uh, we think of Solomon and his wisdom with the two women who came and whose baby, uh, the, uh, who the child belonged to. Uh, enforced justice. Obtained promises. That could be any number of them. Stop the mouths of lions. Of course, we think immediately of Daniel having been cast into the lion's den, not named, and yet that may well be a reference to Daniel. Quench the power of fire. Think of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, not named, but... Uh, they were tossed into the fiery furnace. Uh, they were prepared to die if necessary uh, in faithfulness to the Lord, and yet the Lord spared them. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Again, could be any number, any number of these. And so you see, whether the need was for political victory, whether it was helping someone in need, whether it was hearing and receiving the promises of God, overcoming natural enemies, protection in war, protection in weakness, winning in battle, God's power was there. God was at work in response to the faith, imperfect, often weak, wavering, but real faith of his people. Now, he goes on to mention the suffering. He's mentioned the accomplishments here, the things that were done, the struggles, the accomplishments, the victories, but that often came at a great price. And there were those who seemed to win no victory, but simply seemed to suffer. And even their willingness to suffer in faith in God's word itself was a kind of victory. We see in verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection, Think of Elijah uh, and Elisha and their ministry. Elijah raising the son of the widow of Zarephath. Elisha raising the son of the Shunammite woman, probably referring to those events. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. We don't know specifically in the Old Testament which the writer to the Hebrews has in mind. It's possible he may refer to a figure that we don't actually know from any of the canonical books, but rather a certain Eliezer from Second uh, Maccabees who's written of, uh, whose faithfulness uh, under in, uh, the persecution of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, could be described, uh, what, what is, fits well with what is described here, someone we don't even know from the canonical books, from inspired scripture, but known in history, and the writer to the Hebrews may be referring to that person, so that they might rise again to a better life, literally so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Better compared to what? Well, possibly better even to those uh, who were raised in this life, back to mortal life, to be raised to immortal life, uh, possibly uh, refusing release and that kind of escape from death in order that they might have a genuine escape from death in that better resurrection promised to those who die uh, trusting in the Lord. Others, verse 36, suffered mocking, and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Uh, they were sawn in two. So when we think of someone being stoned, we think particularly of Stephen, a New Testament figure, uh, who was stoned for his faith in Christ, stoned to death, sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. And then their poverty and skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, Seem like a pretty ragtag bunch, and yet he says of them, of whom the world was not worthy. But these people, given what they suffered because of their faith in the promises of God, uh, the world might look at them and see them as a pretty sorry lot. But the eye of faith looks at them and says the world was not even worthy to have them walk on its soil wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And we need to be careful that we don't see faithful people of God with the eyes of the world and sort of see them with a certain disdain. We need to see them, as the writer to the Hebrews did, with the eyes of faith and see them as people of whom this world was not worthy. You see, in every instance, their primary concern was not the preservation of their worldly position, their worldly comforts, or even their life in this world. They were concerned with being faithful. Whatever that might cost in this life, they were concerned with the preservation uh, of their faith and their trust in the Lord. It really comes down to, we mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego earlier. Uh, Their words really sum it up when they were about to be cast into the fiery furnace. They put it this way. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He'll rescue us from your hand, O king. But if not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That says it about as well as you can say it. The attitude that was displayed uh, in those of whom the writer describes uh, here in this passage. And then we move to 39 through 40, where he really ties the chapter up, brings it to an end, and comments on all of them. Verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. All of them. 
lived by faith and yet did not live to see the, the fulfillment of all that God had. Now, you and I have lived to see a lot more and uh, certainly recognize what God did in Christ, what God has done in the world over the last two millennia uh, through Christ, by His Spirit, by the preaching of His Word. Uh, but even we have not yet lived to see the, the true and complete fulfillment of all of these things. But he points out uh, that they knew, they realized so little of God's salvation, but they knew it was coming. And this was the basis of their trust. That the key word there, promised. They didn't receive it, but it was promised. So it was good as done, and they acted accordingly. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, this sort of gets back to the purpose of writing Hebrews. He wrote to encourage primarily Jewish Christians who themselves perhaps had suffered much. For a Jew to become a Christian often meant difficulties. It often made life harder socially, professionally, financially, even religiously, as they left behind a great deal of what had been treasured in their families from generation to generation. But that's why he says God provided something better for us. There's that key word in Hebrews, better, superior, uh, what we now have in Christ, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, they were looking forward to what God would provide in Christ Jesus. That had not come yet. They didn't live to see it. And yet, he says, apart from us and what we have in Christ, they should not be made perfect. You see, not until our time, the time when Christ would come and live and die for their sins, would their salvation be made Perfect. Would it be made complete? You see, until Jesus actually went to the cross and fulfilled what was symbolized through all of the bulls and goats and rams and sheep and birds and everything else that was sacrificed, their faith uh, was, was in something yet to come. They were trusting in something that would yet be accomplished. But with Christ's death, they too were justified by faith before the Lord. Just as we look back at what Christ did, they looked forward to what God would do in Christ. And so he brings the chapter back to the purpose of his letter, to remind his readers that what they have in Christ is the reality to which the rest was a shadow. It is the fulfillment to which the rest was promise. And so to stand on that, to be strong in that. And so even though they were looking forward, even though Christ hadn't yet come, they were not second-rate believers. They were believers in the promises of God of the highest order. And with courageous faith, they lived their lives. They conquered, they trusted, they suffered, they won. You know, you think about them, you think about how they lived by faith in spite of the lesser light that they had. And we, who live in the light of Christ's coming, we who have the entirety of this book. What should that say about how we should live by faith? We read these in Hebrews 11, we say, wow, think how much less they had to go on. We have the completed Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. Dear friends, if they lived like this, how then should we live? Upon the light, who live in the light of the new covenant. 
upon whom the Son, the Lord Jesus, has risen. How much more should our lives be characterized by faith? You know, the Lord Jesus, late in John's Gospel, John chapter 20, verse 29, said, Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. We have a lot more, but we still haven't laid our eyes on Jesus. We still haven't seen him. We have a lot more. We have the Word. We have the Spirit. But the message of Hebrews 11 is that we too, as God's people, should live, should conquer, should suffer for Christ in faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this chapter, a great chapter and a great book. Uh, Father, we pray that certainly these examples of faith would teach us the nature of faith and what it is to live by faith. But Father, that they would also inspire us and challenge us. Because, Lord, we recognize that certainly since the Old Testament, since the New Testament, there have been many, many people, some whose names and biographies we know, many, many more that we don't, who have lived in faith uh, and have lived for you and brought glory to you and helped spread your kingdom. Father, we pray that would be true of us. Lord, increase our faith, increase our willingness to act on the basis of your word, to live on your promises. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.